0: That's Acts chapter 11, verses 19 to 30, page 1,108. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. and a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Stasus to look for Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people, and in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine all over the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul.
1: Thanks, Amal, very much. Now we zoom in this evening to a key moment in the history of the world, And we are at one of the key turning points in what is now a global phenomenon, impacting more people across the world than any other. On its own, just as a matter of historical interest, what we consider this evening is fascinating. It is, if you like, a red carpet moment on what is now the most popular box office movement in global history. This movement has shaped nations, it's changed individuals, it's brought hope and energizing power to billions of lives. And nine days ago, I visited the archive of a company, a livery company that's just within a couple of uh, minutes' walk from here, and the archivist was a fascinating woman. She actually did her ori- original research in boar's head carol ceremonies, which involve boar's heads and carols. Oxford. Uh, One one by one, however, from the archive were brought ancient documents of fascinating, fascinating interest. Uh, There was a deed of a lease of a piece of land leased by us, St. Helens Church, from 1360, the original. And then the the deed that enabled um, that company, the delivery company, to take over quite a lot of land belonging to St. Helens signed and stamped with the seal of Richard Cromwell, Thomas Cromwell's nephew, 1540. I was particularly interested in that because actually, you know, it could actually be ours. And so I was building the case, you know, as we went along. But there was one item of particular interest, and that was the New Testament text and notes of Erasmus that was owned by Thomas Cranmer, his own text, and it had all his handwritten notes in the margins. If you write in the margins of your book, you've got, good, uh, you've got pr- good precedent there. Thomas Cramer did. Anyway, I was accompanied on the trip by an Australian and a New Zealander. And as Erasmus's New Testament, I mean, it was an electric moment. One of the guys who's good on history said, this is the book that has had the singular greatest impact on Western culture of any other. You could make a case for that. Thomas's, uh, uh, Thomas Cramer's own bible it was an electric moment i was particularly pleased that our friend the archivist also produced and had open on the table an atlas from 1651 which had the whole of new zealand and australia unmapped the southern unknown land was of course completely known to any number of people who were living there at the time but this incident that we're considering this evening is of far more than mere historical interest. It's one of those electric moments. Uh, We're considering God's work, the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you may remember that back at the beginning of the Acts of the Apostles, Jesus said that his eyewitnesses, his apostles, will be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. We're now in chapters 9 through 12, which is a discrete section of the book. And up to now, the good news of the forgiveness of Jesus Christ has really, up until the beginning of this section, has only Advance Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. This is a turning point section. It's a key moment. We see, if you like, the first trickle of water that leads to the bursting of a vast dam. You know how many chuck a pebble into the pond, there's a splash and then ripple, ripple, ripple. Or when you're building, you know, walls on the beach out of sand, the first part of the tide breaches and then whew, it comes right through. It's not necessarily the noise it makes. So this is the first breach out from Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria. And by the close of today's reading, we have the first genuine church on non-Jewish soil. Uh, Those scattered through the persecution spread the word far and wide. Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch are up the west coast north of Israel. And the first steps are made in preaching only to the Jews. You better get me another microphone in case this is going, going south. So verse 19, now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose from Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one but Jews. Now look at verse 20. There were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who were coming to Antioch. They spoke to the Hellenists also preaching the Lord Jesus. The Hellenists may have included some Greeks who'd converted to Judaism, but you can see from the footnote, primarily they were non-Jews, what's known as Gentiles, Greeks, And so we have here the first church formed outside the boundary of Israel in God's great plan to advance his glorious gospel across the globe in, if you like, a relentless tide of the advance of the kingdom of King Jesus. And I think what our author is wanting to stress for us at this key moment is that this is God's business, that this is a word business, and that this is our business. So first of all, this is God's business. So don't look at me, look down at the text. I'm just fiddling around with the microphone for a moment. But you can see from verse 21 that the word, or rather the hand of God, was with them, and the hand of the Lord was with them. And then you can see from verse 22 that the grace of God was evident, So verse 22, the report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem and they sent Barnabas to Antioch when he came and saw the grace of God. And you can see from verse 24 that a great number were added. That is, they were added by God. He was a man full of the Holy Spirit and of faith and a great many people were added to the Lord. So this new move outside of the boundaries of Judaism is founded by God's hand, established by God's grace, and grown through God's addition. And so we ask ourselves, you know, who started this church? Who caused this bursting of the walls? Who is behind this movement? And the answer is God is. The point is made all the more strongly, as we note verse 19. Those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen travelled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, Antioch, speaking the word to no one except to the Jews. Up to this point in this section of Acts, this particular section, 9 through 11, all the action has been Peter. That's been really important. Peter was shown to have the power of an apostle, Peter goes to the house of Cornelius where the first Gentile is converted. Peter is summoned back to headquarters in Jerusalem to show that this really is a work of God. Peter, 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 Peter. Peter is important because he is the rock on whose teaching the church was to be founded. And so Peter being front and center all the way through this section really matters. It's showing the reader that this is an authentic of Jesus Christ because Peter was the lead apostle but look at verse 19 for a second just glance down at the page there now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen it's not Peter indeed this is the only part of chapter 9 through 31 through to the end of chapter 12 where Peter is not front and center The men from Cyprus and Cyrene, that's the island of Cyprus, maybe you've been on a holiday there, the north coast of Africa. They come to Antioch, which is north of Israel in Syria, and they speak to the Greek-speaking non-Jews of Jesus. It's no longer Peter. In other words, just as Peter is preaching the gospel to Cornelius, and we're being shown, yeah, it really is God's intention for the gospel to go to non-Jews, even at that very moment, These guys who have been driven out of Jerusalem, who weren't native to Jerusalem, and scattered all over the world because of the persecution, they are doing precisely the same thing, and non-Jews in Antioch are becoming Christians by the bucket load. What Peter was doing in Cornelius' house is now happening in everybody's house up there in Antioch, right outside, if you like, the headquarters, Israel and Jerusalem. Antioch was founded in 300 B.C., by one of Alexander the Great's generals. Antioch was known as the Queen of the East, the city Antioch, on account of her population being made up of Persians, Greeks, and Oriental people. Some writers even suggest that there were Chinese people in Antioch. That's pretty cool. Spring rolls, dumplings, noodles, and egg fried rice. The third city of Rome, Antioch was known as Antioch the Beautiful, a vast city, sophisticated, cosmopolitan, wealthy, multicultural, educated, elite, a global center. And now the gospel of Jesus Christ has penetrated out from Israel, out from Jerusalem. It's God's gospel for God's world and God's behind it. He's establishing his church outside of Jerusalem. The church is no longer in Jerusalem, only it's going to the ends of the earth. Now that point runs right the way through, that it's God who does it, runs right the way through the acts of the apostles. So this phrase, there were added to their number, comes again and again and again, making the point that it's God's doing it. God's doing it. God's doing it. And you see instance after instance of God's hand in his work of driving forward the rule of of King Jesus, the advance of the Christian gospel beyond the boundaries of Israel to the ends of the earth. It's God's business. He's behind it, and he's pretty good at it. So what? Well, one author puts it like this. The Lord is both subject and object, source and goal of evangelism. He does it. Oh, there are so many incidents we could talk about of this one of my favorite, some of you guys who've been around for a while know that we're quite closely connected to churches in Latvia, there in the Baltic states. And there's a guy, one of the guys most significant behind the growth of some of the churches we're connected with in Latvia is a guy called Alvis. When the Iron Curtain came down, Gorbachev and so forth, when the Iron Curtain came down, Alvis thought it would be good to be a Christian, but not just a Christian, but to be a Christian leader. He wasn't actually Christian at the time. And so he joined a church and applied to be a leader in the church, and he became a leader in the church while still not a Christian. This is his story. It, It was a very fashionable church, right in the center of Riga. If you've been to the center of Riga, it's beautiful, and it's a beautiful church that he was in. Everybody wanted to associate with Christianity in those days, coming out of Soviet times. Lots of people wanted to get married. They wanted to get married in the smartest church. And so they came to Alvis, and he took wedding after wedding after wedding. He thought to himself, I ought to do something Christian with these guys. After all, we're in church. And he found something somewhere online or something called the four spiritual laws. So he went through the four spiritual laws with every couple, and he said, I will marry you in church on the understanding that you pray the prayer at the back end of the four spiritual laws. Now, of course, they all said, yeah, prayed it, prayed it, prayed it, and so forth, and so forth. Anyway, after a year and a half, he suddenly struck him, I've never prayed it myself. And he became a Christian. God is behind the growth of his church, and he will bring people through the gospel, to the gospel, by whatever means he wants. Simultaneously, Artis was one of the best tech students in, uh, in, in Riga IT. Coca-Cola was setting up their head office. They wanted a, a really sharp IT guy. Age 19, Artis became the head of Coca-Cola's IT in the Baltics. He was very wealthy, so he drove, he drove around Riga in an open-top Porsche in a leather jacket. At the same time, he was doing a second degree in philosophy. His philosophy professor said, you need to understand Kant, Kant's an atheist. If you understand what Kant's reacting against, you've got to read Augustine, read Augustine. He read the confessions, he became a Christian. He was driving around Riga in his leather jacket and an open top Porsche, one of the richest young boys in the whole of Riga, thinking he was the only Christian in the whole of the Soviet bloc because he didn't know any other Christians. And then he heard Alvis preaching on the radio, and he thought, he believes the same things as I do. They got together, and that got the church started. Now, there is story after story after story of that kind of thing, that God is behind the advance of his church. God is behind building. Might I put it more negatively for a second? We're going to see in a moment that God gives us a privileged part in this work. It's not, but up front what Luke is wanting to show us is it's not primarily our efforts that grow God's church. It's not my attendance. It's not my strategic thinking or yours. It's not our gifts or our favorite preacher or our financial contributions or even our prayers. How we love to magnify human achievement. But it was God who added to their number. It was the grace of the Lord that was with them. And it was the hand of the Lord that was with them. We may have our vision statements and we've got our church council meeting tomorrow evening, but it's God who grows his church. Many of our mission partners will be listening. They tend to listen afterwards on on the the app and so forth. And I think of them out there in Northern Nigeria, uh, in South Africa, Kenya, um, over in Japan, Cambodia, Paris, Belgium, Beijing, You think to yourself, what an encouragement. But then what an encouragement for you if you're just arriving in London. There you are at SOAS or whatever it happens to be. Now, it's God who advances his gospel work in your office, in the school in which you work. This is God's business. It's God's concern, a worldwide advance of the message of Jesus Christ that all people everywhere should hear, And he's in the business of establishing his church. It's a word business. Now, there is a slight danger under this second point that we can sound a little bit like an Instagram video that is set on constant replay. You know how a person puts up their vid and then it just kind of goes on and on and on. You are saying the same, same silly picture or whatever it happens they happen to be doing. And and there's a danger that, you know, I say this again and again, but that's because that's what the Bible says. I'm going to read verses 19 through 26. This is immensely important that we understand how it is that God grows his church. Ask yourself, as I read, what did God use? How did he maintain the church in Antioch? And how did he secure long-term that church? Verse 19. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. A great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul and when Barnabas had found Saul, he brought Saul to Antioch for a whole year. They met with the church and taught a great many people and in Antioch the disciples were first called Christians, so they were speaking the word. They spoke to the Hellenists, preaching the Lord Jesus. He exhorted them to remain faithful to the Lord. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. In Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. They spoke the word to them. They preached the Lord Jesus. They taught them. Such was the teaching that the people became known as Christians. What was the content of of the instruction, the Lord Jesus, who exercised this ministry. Well, initially, absolutely everybody who was scattered because of the persecution was speaking of Jesus, and that is described as preaching the Lord Jesus over the water cooler in the staff room, wherever they were just speaking of the Lord Jesus, all of them, but then specifically appointed leaders and speakers, Saul and Barnabas. What was the nature of the ministry? They exhorted and urged them to remain faithful with steadfast purpose, exhortation. But it wasn't purely exhortation. They instructed them, they taught them. And what was the impact of the ministry? The group made such an impact on this large urban setting of Antioch that it became necessary to identify them as a group. What are we gonna call these people? And because they'd been taught Jesus Christ, they were known as Christians. Now, there's so much we could say from this, isn't there? The content, who exercised it, the nature, exhortation and instruction, the impact. But growing churches, the advance of the Christian gospel, is Jesus's business, and growing churches is a Bible business. It's a word business It's a teaching business. It's an exhortation and an instruction business. That's what I'm doing now. The author of Acts is a guy called Luke. He doesn't actually tell us what the syllabus is, and that's because he's already told us. So if you want to know what the syllabus was, have a look at Acts chapter 10, where Peter's sermon to the first Gentile, uh, Cornelius, who heard the gospel, Gives us the, don't look at it now, but gives us the essential message, peace through Jesus Christ, the well-attested facts, Jesus was born, lived, died, rose, reigns, and the God-given meaning that you will face Jesus in judgment one day. I will face Jesus in judgment one day. He's the judge of the living and the dead. There is nobody outside of the set of the living You may think your next door neighbor is slightly outside of the set and the living and the dead, somewhere in between. But there's nobody outside of the set of the living and the dead. Jesus told the apostles once he was risen that he's the judge of the living and the dead. Every single person who has ever lived will face Jesus in judgment. You and me, our friends and family, and that forgiveness of sins is possible in his name. So there is the essential message, but you'll notice that there's encouragement here. Did you notice verse 23? When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. You know, I need to be encouraged. The Christian life is hard. There are constant setbacks and struggles. It's a marathon, not a sprint. You need to be encouraged. You need to be encouraged. You come across somebody who says, oh, well, I just potter along to church once in a while and when I'm feeling like it. You, you think, well, you're absolutely mad if you don't mind me putting it like that as politely as I can. You need to be exhorted and encouraged to remain steadfast. You know that. You stop being exhorted to be, and encouraged. Well, you just begin to drift, don't you? I mean, I was watching. I, I couldn't get in this evening. The traffic was so bad. So I went home, got the bike out, had a puncture. So I walked in. I oh, was so glad I did because I crossed London Bridge just as underneath everybody, you know, the, the kind of stragglers, I suppose. I don't know, the people with the five hours were, were, were running through the marathon. There was a huge racket going on. There were people walking. I don't know what they were doing. Anyway, it was, it's meant to be a marathon anyway. I don't think I could walk 26 miles myself. But even so, they were shouting, you know, come on. There were great crowds encouraging them on. Well, exhortation is part of what we need. Go on, go on, go on, go on. Go on, go on, go on. It's a chorus, a verse in a Christian chorus where there are 45 verses that all say exactly the same. So you need to be encouraged. I was at a work earlier this week at a conference of Christian workers we heard a fantastic talk on Monday from a guy. It must have been in his 30s or something like that. I was sitting next to an old dodderer like me, and we turned to one, one another afterwards and said, both of us said, boy, we needed that. To be encouraged, you need it. But there's also not just exhortation, there's also instruction. Do you see it in verse 25? So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church family and they taught a great many people. So simple exhortation isn't enough. There needs to be substance to our faith. If we're not taught in depth, we will be shallow. Shallow root, no fruit. No substance, no endurance. Fruitful Christians are instructed Christians. It's the house built on the rock that stands the storm. It's the roots put down into the good soil that bear fruit with endurance. You need to be instructed. Interestingly, it doesn't sound that there were necessarily great rallies and staged, but, you know, there are many ways of drawing a crowd You can pack a building and call it church in all sorts of reasons. In some parts of the country, simply having a good car park will help you fill your church. Getting smoke machines and light shows might draw a crowd. Ensuring that the church's social life is great can really grow things. Having the best Instagram site, well, that can help being involved in whatever popular project the world might find attractive, whether it's environmental programs or social action. That can grow a crowd. Everyone wants to be doing something useful. And some of those things are actually Christian. But what Luke wants to emphasize is that this work in Antioch was pioneered through the ministry of the word, established on the word, secured through a ministry of the word, God's great purpose in the book of Acts is the advance of the gospel. It's his purpose today across the globe. And in Antioch, we see the Christian gospel moving beyond racial boundaries, transcending cultural and religious structures and impacting radically individual lives. And it's the ministry of the word that does it. That's why we stress this so strongly here as a church. You know, if you're part of a university Christian union seeking to see a Christian work established. It's only the ministry of the word. That's, it's God who does it. It's a word work. Many people arriving in London at this time of year, traveling around, which church am I going to go to? Yeah, all sorts of reasons why you might want to go to a church. A, the band is fantastic. Well, I think the band is actually pretty good, but there we go. We put that to one side. You know, I feel so good when I'm there. Oh, I've got lots of mates there. Now, the real thing you should be looking for Is it established on the word? Is it just exhortation? Well, actually, that's not enough. You need the instruction as well. You need the instruction and the exhortation. Shallow Christians, fruitless Christians. And this explains why we have such emphasis on our small groups as we were just talking about here. Because we want people to come prepared, having read the passage, thought about it deeply, So that we grow up mature and can stand strong because it's God's business and it's a word business, the growing of churches. Does this mean we simply relax, sit back, get out the sun lounger and fix ourselves a margarita? Pizza, that is. (laughs) This should be our business. This should be our business. Just very briefly at the end, grab a look at this. The point here is that God uses means. And the means God uses is people. And the people God uses make decisions. And the decisions made by God's people advance the gospel. Just look at it again. God uses means. The means he uses are people. The people he uses make decisions. And the decisions people make advance the gospel. So it's God's business. It's a word business. It's our business. So verse 19, those who were scattered because of the persecution rose. Uh, that arose, um, preached, spoke the word. Verse 20, some of them began to speak to the Greeks. Uh, verse 21, the hand of the Lord was with them. Verse 22, the church in Jerusalem heard about this. They made a decision. They sent Barnabas. And then Barnabas, he was getting so frazzled doing the work, he went off to Tarsus to find Saul. And then Agabus came down from Jerusalem to Antioch and foretold of the famine. And the church in Antioch demonstrated that they were a true church of Christ by now sending to the relief of their brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. Selfless, sacrificial response from these two churches. I mean, what must it have been like for the church in Jerusalem to send Barnabas? He was an absolute blinder of a Christian worker. He was a cracker full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And they sent him. What must it have been like for Saul? I would love to have been a fly on a meat chop there in uh, Tarsus as Barnabas comes breezing in. Anybody seen Saul? Anybody found Saul? Where's Saul? That was the single most effective piece of recruiting that the last 2,000 years has seen as Saul then comes down to Antioch and the whole thing explodes but over and again, selfless decisions for the advance of the gospel, thoughtful decisions, individual speaking. What can I do? What can we do? How can we help? How will we advance the gospel? Lord, show us, please. It's your work. It's a word work. What am I going to do? It's an extraordinary thing, isn't it? Worth just saying that prophecy in the book of Acts is primarily forth telling, that is speaking out the word of God he's already revealed. On just two, possibly three occasions, it is Foretelling, speaking about something in the future, but once the revelation of God is out in the open, foretelling is the business of prophecy. And every now and then, you find a foretelling, like we see here. Well, here is the glorious. When we were standing over in the uh, in the Arkas, I mean, the hairs were standing up on the back of my neck. It was just riv- extraordinary. 1360, you know, 15. 43, the land should be ours anyway, uh, you know, and all of this sort of stuff. Crammer's Bible with his notes in the margin. I mean, it's extraordinary. This is an incident that has impacted the world. It's God's business growing churches who have answered the gospel. It's a word business. It's our business. Let me pray. We see our Father, your hand being with these early disciples, and your grace at work, and you adding. And with our different contexts, some of us at universities just arriving, some of us being around longer in workplaces, schools, and so forth, us here at St. Helens, we long, Lord, that Your your hand might be with us, that you would lavish your grace upon us and in all our endeavours that you would lead and direct us and that you would add constantly to the number of disciples. In Jesus' name, amen.